Well, good morning. morning. That's pretty cool. (laughs) So, good morning again. Yeah, my name is William Ruck. Um, Some of you may know me. Uh, My wife, or my family and I, are missionaries in Japan. And I'm here today to share with you, we're going to open up God's Word together, but we're also, I'm going to share with you about Japan and about the work that we're doing there. Um, I'm really glad to have an opportunity to be here and share with you again. Um, so I have, to, I have to admit something. I have found a small amount of joy out of embarrassing my children as we have been back in the States visiting churches. And uh, t- this morning when we got here, they said, Papa, is there, is there a kid's class? And I was like, yeah, yeah, there's a kid's class. And they're like, so we don't have to sit in, the, in there while you're talking? I was like, no. And Nora gets the biggest smile, and she says, so you can't point at us? And I was like, no, I cannot. Um, so we've got a picture up here um, of my family. Um, I can't point at them. They're not in here right now, otherwise we would. But we have three children. The smallest one is Eddie, and then Judy there on the right, and then Nora there, my wife, Mary Jo. It's here as well. I don't think she's quite as embarrassed if I point at her, um, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're all glad to be here. So as I mentioned, we're missionaries in Japan, um, and we've been in Japan since 2009. Um, it's kind of wild to me. Somebody asked me, so how long have you been there? And I said, oh, it's been 13 years. And that, it does, I don't feel old enough to be there for 13 years, but apparently that is the case. Um, so we serve at a place called Christ Bible Institute. Um, it's a ministry uh, center as well as a seminary. We have Christ Bible Seminary there as well. Um, and we also serve at Mustard Seed Christian Church, uh, a church in, in the city of Nagoya. Now, um, there's something I also have to admit this morning. Um, at Mustard Seed, I preach now and again. And we're a bilingual church, so when someone is preaching in English, we've got someone standing up next to us preaching in, or kind of translating into Japanese. When someone's preaching in Japanese, we have someone translating into English. And so when I preach, I say a sentence, and then I wait. They translate it. I look at my notes, and then I say another sentence. So if I'm standing up here, and I just stop after a sentence and just awkwardly pause, it's because I'm waiting for my non-existent translator to say something. Now, Um, We serve in Japan, like I mentioned. And historically, Japan has been Shinto and Buddhist. Now, Shinto is an indigenous animistic religion, and Buddhism came to Japan in about the 6th century AD from China and has had a big influence there ever since. Um, Now, Buddhism was even like the mandated state religion in Japan for several hundred years. Now, Interestingly enough, according to the 2020 report on international religious freedom, 48% of Japanese people identify as Buddhist and 46% identify as Shinto and about 1% identify as Christian um, and then a few other religions taking up the rest of the, uh, up to that 100%. Now, in a similar survey, now this one was asked by the Japanese Agency for Cultural Affairs, they simply asked people, they said, do you identify as religious or non-religious? And 51% of people answering that survey identified as non-religious. Now, I'm not super good at math. If we've got 48% Shinto and 46% saying that they're Buddhist, but 51% answering that they're non-religious, that doesn't quite you know, add up. There is an overlap in people who identify as non-religious and people who also identify identify as Shinto or Buddhist. Um, Now, 
that actually makes a lot of sense in my experience living in Japan. Now, um, let me tell you a story. So I have three children, and they've all been born in Japan. Um, and they all go to Japanese schools. And, and the school system there in Japan is a little different than it is here. Um, there are three years of preschool in kindergarten. We call it Yochien. And we sent our kids to a Yochien. And we found out that this Yochien is actually connected with a, a Buddhist temple. And we told them at the Yochien, when we went there, we said, hey, listen, so we're Christians. And we don't want our kids participating in any of the, the Buddhist practices. And the school much to their credit, said, oh, of course, yeah, absolutely, we'll respect that. Here are the days when we're going to do this, these things. You can keep them home. Um, and we thought, great, sounds awesome. So the kids go to, to Yochien. They really like it. It's a lot of fun. We think the, the school is pretty nice. Um, and then one day, Nora comes home from school, and she says, Papa, I did something fun at school today. And I said, what did you do? She said, I clapped my hands, and I washed a statue. And I said, What? She said, I clapped my hands and I washed a statue. She's like, I poured tea on it. And I immediately went to Google, started like searching for it because I had no idea what this was. And discovered that day is Buddha's birthday. And it is tradition on Buddha's birthday to go to a statue of Buddha and make an offering of sweet tea to the spirit of Buddha in the, in the statue. We look at Joe, and she looks at me, and we're like, wait, that's a religious practice. Like, that's something they said they wouldn't do. And so at that moment, I realized, like, my Japanese is not quite good enough to give someone a piece of my mind, which is probably for the better, um, which then I then called up um, the, one of the staff at, our, at the seminary and our, one of our office workers who's Japanese, and I asked Akiko, who is particularly passionate and fiery, and I was like, oh, she's going to be a good person. I said, hey, would you call the school? And I explained everything to her, and she's like, well, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And she calls up the school, and she says, hey, you said they wouldn't do religious practices, and here's what they did, and they did it, and it's a religious practice, and what's going on with that? And the school, the lady that Akiko is relaying this to me, she said the school was aghast. They were like, wait, we didn't tell them to do a religious practice. And she's like, you had them make an offering to Buddha. And she's like, oh, that's a religious practice? The lady on the phone was shocked. This is just a tradition. This is just something that you do on that day. It had become completely divorced from its spiritual practice. It was something empty and hollow. And it made us think for a minute, like, oh, like, man, this is, this is different. So all of this kind of comes together to make Japan a really challenging and interesting ministry field. So here's a, a picture of the shrine that, that's near our house. Now, it's, it's beautiful looking, but it is a cold and empty place much of the year, except for a few of those festival days when people come and they do what their parents have done, what their grandparents have done, what they've always done. It is pulled apart from an act of worship, and it has simply become just what you do. It's, it's become intertwined with their cultural identity. Now, on top of that, to complicate ministry even further in Japan, um, I've got a picture here of Nagoya itself. So this is the city of Nagoya, the downtown area. It's actually, I think you can, no, not quite, the CBI building is just out of frame here, but this is the sprawling cityscape of Nagoya. Um, 
Nagoya, Japan has a population of 125 million people. Nagoya, city proper, has a population of 2 million people. And the metro area that it's nestled in is about 10 million people. Um, The population density in Nagoya is about 17,000 people per square mile. So just think of a square mile around here and then take 17,000 people and cram them into that space. It is a vastly different landscape than it is here in America. And that kind of population density really does have an effect on people, how people live their everyday lives. But today, I'm not just here to talk to you about Japan. Um, I'm a missionary, so I'm in it always going to be kind of telling you about our ministries and telling you about Japan, but I've been asked today to speak on this topic, life verse. Um, and I really, I have, to, I have to tell you, I had a hard time thinking about what I was going to come up with. And I realized that I don't have particular verses that I always go back to in times of trouble and times of, of suffering in my life. I do have, and as I was thinking about it, and as I was praying about it, I do realize that there are principles that I find in Scripture that I go back to all the time. And the Psalms are often a source of comfort for people, and they are for me as well. And so for this sermon, I chose to speak on Psalm 143. And so this is, this is a psalm that like, I have, I've come to for, for comfort and for solace in times of suffering and times of frustration. So let's, let's start reading Psalm 143, verses 1 through 4. It says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul, for he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. My heart, or therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Okay, now, I know I just said that the Psalms were a great comfort, and I know how this one sounds right off the bat, but we're going we're gonna to get there, so just stay with me for a minute. Um, now, this psalm, like many of the psalms, was written by King David. Um, now, he was obviously in a lot of distress in the beginning of this psalm here, and some commentators actually think that this psalm was written during the time where his son Absalom was leading a rebellion against him. Now, if we look at the specifics of David's situation, it's kind of hard to empathize with that. Um, I'm just imagining my son, Eddie, he's four years old, leading a rebellion against me. Um, I think it'd be really adorable as a four-year-old, but that's not exactly what David was going through. Um, But if we think about it, like the feelings that he's describing— I mean, these are things that we have. We all feel this way. We all feel crushed. We all feel oppressed. We all feel like that that last phrase in there, my my heart within me is appalled. Like, I think we feel that. Um, Now, the last time that we were here um, was 2018. And we shared with you about the ministry that we were about to embark on. We've been working with CBI, and I was taking on a new role as the facility manager. And I was pretty excited about all the things that we were going to do. And from 2018 and 2019, it was really, really busy. We had a lot going on. Um, we had a big conference that we put on in 2019. It was up in Tokyo. It was down in Nagoya. We had, you know, multiple different events. We had all sorts of our Friday night outreach things going on. We had a lot of stuff happening, and it was really exciting to support all the different ministries there. Now, then 2020 came along, 
And that changed everything. Now, without getting into a lot of the details, we did our best to kind of abide by and respect the Japanese government's recommendations for us. And so we moved all of our seminary classes online, almost all of our staff began to telework, and we shut down our outreach and evangelism programs. We went on to cancel our conferences that we had planned, our big meetings, our networking gatherings, all of those things we had to close. And I'm going to be honest with you, in 2020, it was really hard for us. You know, we felt as though all the things that we were building up for, all the different ministries that we were getting started, the big plans that we were making were all being stripped away from us. And we felt attacked. And there was really, there really, there was a time of mourning. You know, and on top of that, you know, to to add to that even further, um, the Japanese government closed up the borders to Japan, only allowing in citizens for a long period of time. And that meant there were several of our missionaries who were in America on trips who were trapped. You know, they had apartments, they had jobs, they had everything going on back in Japan, but the government would not let them back in, and they just had to sit and wait. We even had to cancel our plans. Like, we were planning to be here in 2020, and we thought, well, maybe we can come back in 2021. But again, for fear of not being able to get back into the country where we were serving, we had to cancel all of those things. It was really hard for us to see God's goodness and God's plan in all of that. There was a real mourning of the loss of the daily rhythms of our lives. So, but when those times of hardship and suffering approach us, well, that's when we need to look to Scripture, right? And that's when I would look back to Psalm 143. So let's, let's keep reading in this psalm and see some of the principles um, that we talked about. Now, in verses 5 and 6, <clears throat> it says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Now, the suffering that David endured far outstrips my own. But that doesn't make our suffering any easier to live with. Um, what we can do, however, when we, when we are living in it, is we can look to how he reacted to the suffering and we can try and emulate it. So what did he do? So in verses 1 through 4, he kind of describes how he's feeling. In 5 and 6, his reaction to the suffering is to look back at to what God has already done for him. He remembers the days of old, as he put it. And, and maybe he's remembering the time when he was anointed to be God's king. It says that he meditates on all that God has done. And maybe that's a moment where he thinks about all the battles that God has carried him through to this point in his life. And it says that he ponders the work of God's hands. And maybe that's a moment where he remembers the miracles done at the hands of God's prophets that he had seen and he's been a part of. In all of this suffering, he remembers how God has brought him to the place that he is, and he thirsts for God's provision in his life. In all of his suffering, in all of that, he looks back, not to like what he's, the moment that he's in. He's not focusing on the pain and the suffering of now. He looks back at the provision of God who, that has brought him forward and through it. Now, I know a lot of ministries in Japan have, uh, have kind of just hunkered down and have just kind of waited for life to go back to normal. But for us at CBI, that wasn't really an option. We took time as we closed everything down to really look at our vision and our mission for ministry and think, okay, 
How can we do all of those things in the world as it is now? Now, I know I I skipped over this slide, but I've got a picture up here of CBI, of the place where we serve. So this is the back side of the building here. You can see the sign says CBI, Christo Seisho Shingako in there, um, in the downtown areas right in the background. I have another picture kind of from the other side of the building um, pointing to the front of it. Um, Yeah, that's us right there in the midst of that giant concrete mess. That is where we serve and that is where we work. Um, Now, the vision of CBI, our vision statement, is to see the gospel of the glory of Christ cherished and proclaimed throughout Japan. Now, that is born out of 2 Corinthians 4. Um, which I'm not going to read to you now. It's a little bit long. Um, but this, this is a great goal, to see the gospel of the glory of Christ cherished and proclaimed throughout Japan. Um, this is nothing less than seeing a gospel movement sweeping across Japan. Right now, Japan is less than 1% Christian, and we want to see churches in every city, in every village across Japan. We want to see disciples making disciples. We want to see churches planting churches. We want to see a gospel movement across the country. And for hundreds of years, Japan has been a dark place, and we want to see the light of the gospel shining all throughout the country. Now, that's a big vision. It's a really big plan. But in order to get to that vision, that's where we have our mission statement. Our mission is what we're going to do to get to that vision. Now, the mission statement of Japan is uh, to equip Christians in Japan for the work of gospel ministry. Now, I have another confession to make. No matter how good my Japanese gets, no matter how long I live in Japan, No matter if I even give up my American citizenship and get Japanese citizenship, I will always be an outsider. I will always be a foreigner. I will always be held out a little bit. And that's okay. That's the way it is. And as we've served in Japan year after year, as we've come to realize that Japanese leaders, Japanese pastors will always have more access and more influence in people's lives than we will ever have. So our hope is through the efforts of our ministry, through equipping Christians in Japan for the work of gospel ministry, we can raise up a new generation of church leaders to bring the gospel to Japan in a Japanese way. I was, it's got me thinking about a, uh, a movie. Have you guys seen the movie Silence? Yes, I see some nod heads. It's about the, persecu- the first missionaries that came to Japan in the 1500s. And it, in that time, Christianity became illegal. And um, there was a very successful campaign of hunting down and eliminating all of the Christians in Japan. Um, and there was a, a scene in that movie where the daimyo is talking to one of these missionaries. And he's, he's telling them that they're taking a sapling of Christianity, the sapling tree. And they're taking it from Europe, from Portugal, where they're from. And they're bringing it to Japan. And he says, you can't take the sapling of the church and plant it in the swamp of Japan because it will twist it and it will kill it. And the, 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 uh, the missionary, this priest, is, is really struggling with this concept. And as I've thought about it and as I read that book and I watched that movie, I, it dawned on me that he's probably right. If we try and take a church, the sapling, the grown church from Europe, from America, from wherever, and we bring it to Japan, it's not going to grow. 
But if we take, now this is a bad analogy because I don't know that seeds grow in a swamp very well, but if we just, instead of taking the sapling of the church, we take the seed, just the gospel alone, and we plant it in Japan. Instead of trying to grow an American church in Japan, but letting a Japanese church grow in Japan, that's where we're going to see success. So that's our hope. That's what we're trying to do. Um, and everything we need to do needs to be through that, to that end, to equip Christians in Japan for the work of gospel ministry. And over the years at CBI, we've tried lots of different things. And some of them have worked, some of them haven't worked, and some of them have sort of worked. And I have to be honest, the things that have sort of worked have been oftentimes the hardest things for us to let go of. Um, one of the examples of that is our missionary-led Friday night events. So we had a board game night, we had a karaoke night, we had an English night, we had all these different missionary-led outreach events that I don't, if I'm completely honest, I'm not sure if they worked super well, but they worked enough that gave us some hope and we kept pushing on with it. But as 2020 came along and in the pandemic, we, it gave us an opportunity to stop all of those things and evaluate them a little bit more objectively. And in that time of frustration, in that time of having to cancel everything, we took a moment to start to ask people. We reached out to people and we started to ask like, what can we do now the way that the world is. So let's look back at Psalms again. We're going to go back to Psalms 143. In the opening verses, we saw David exclaiming his suffering. In the next section, we see him looking back at what God has done. And so what does he do next? Let's read verses 7 through 10. It says, Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest it be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for you, in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. David's next step is to look for guidance. He asked God to make him know what he should do and where he should go. He asked God to teach him to do not David's will, but God's will. And he asked the Holy Spirit to lead him. If we're to emulate David, then we need to submit ourselves to God's guidance in our lives. We may have a plan for what we're going to do next and where we want to go, but I have found that so often if I try and force my plans on the world, they often go awry. But when we slow down, when we open up our heart to the Holy Spirit's guidance, things often go smoother. And I know some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking or you're wondering like, Will, how exactly do I do that? And I have to apologize because I don't have a great answer for you. I wish I could tell you, ha, here are the three easy steps to knowing exactly what God's will is for your life. Or I wish I could say, if you tilt your head just this way and look behind you, there's a big billboard telling you exactly what to do and where to go. I really wish I could tell you those things, but I can't. The best answer that I can give you is that we need to pray earnestly and humbly. We need to listen. We need to pray desperately like David did. Now, bringing the story back to Japan and to our ministry. As we began to pray and ask God what we needed to do next in our ministry during the pandemic, we started to ask other churches and other ministries. We started to ask them, like, what do you need? What can we as an organization give or what can we do for you? Um, and as we started to reach out to people, one of the answers that we got back more often than not was people said, you know what we need? We need good Christian resources 
in Japanese. There are a lot of really wonderful Christian books on all sorts of different things, but very few of them are actually translated into Japanese. Um, so as we started, we, we, as we heard that, we thought, oh, that's something we can do. Absolutely. That's something we can do. And so we started asking them, like, if we were to get some books into Japanese, what is a topic that you would want? And one of the answers that we got back several times was on the topic of Christian counseling. Now, it was pretty fortuitous because in 2019, we had had a seminar series, like we had that conference that I talked about in Tokyo and down in Nagoya. And the guy who spoke there was a guy named Dr. Paul Tripp. And he, uh, he spoke on the topic of marriage on that one. But he also has a book on Christian counseling in the church called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And so we reached out to him and we said, hey, we want to translate your book into Japanese. Is that okay? And we, you know, we jumped through all the hoops to get the rights from his publishing company, and we started to translate it into Japanese. And that's when we went out to some publishing companies in Japan. And we started saying, hey, we've got this book. We've translated it into Japanese. The publishers agreed to give us the rights to print and distribute it. Like, can we give it to you because you're a publishing company? Could you distribute it? And more often than not, we, it, well, not more often than not, in all of the cases, as we reached out to the publishing companies, they all said, no, that's okay. We don't want to do it. Um, and so as we sat there, we we're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And then in one of our meetings, someone said, can we just print them ourselves? We thought, sure, why not? Let's give it a try. So we go through figuring out what we need to do, how we get in touch with a printing company. And we called up one of the printers and we said, hey, we want to print up some books. How much does it cost to print a book? And he gives us a figure. And then we went out to some of the churches that had supported this translation effort. And we said, hey, this is what it costs to print a book. Could, you know, would you like to give to help us print books? And one church in particular said, hey, here's money to print 5,000 copies of that book. And we're like, awesome. This is great. We're going to print 5,000 copies. We go to the printer and we said, hey, I want to print 5,000 copies of this Christian book. And he looks at us and he says, you should not print 5,000 copies. And we're like, well, why not? And he said, well, I've printed books for Christian organizations before. Three to 500 is kind of the range that you want to do. If I print you 5,000 copies of this book, you will have them till the day you die. And we said, you know what? Okay, that's fine. So we gave him the money. He prints up the books. He delivers them to us, um, which as he delivered 5,000 books— I did not realize how much physical space 5,000 books takes up. It's quite a lot. Um, it, it was like, oh, wow, we really... And they just put it in the entryway, which then I had to... We don't have an elevator in our building, too, so I really did not want to keep things on the fourth floor. Um, but we found a place for all the books. So we start to reach out to churches and we say, okay, we've got this book. You asked for Christian counseling, we've got it. And we call them up. We say, how many copies would you like? And oftentimes the pastor of the church would just say, I'll take one. So we'd mail him one. But by God's grace, these people would read these books and then this pastor would call us back, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks later, and they'd call back and say, hey, uh, you sent me one book. Could you send me 50 more? I want to give one to every member of the church. And we're like, absolutely, here you go. It was, there was a hunger and there was a desire for resources on Christian counseling in the church. And we were giving it away for free. And so we, at six months time, we gave away 5,000 copies of the book. Um, and we were excited. We called the printer back up again. We said, hey, we'd like to order another 5,000 copies. His very first question to us, he's like, did you have a fire? And we're like, no, we gave them away. He couldn't believe it. We printed 5,000 copies of that book. 
What followed next was a series of other books that we began to work on. Um, we started doing, uh, let me get the list here. We did Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands was the first one. The next one we did was the New City Catechism. It's a really great book. It's a basic question and answers for an intro to Christianity. After that, we did Caring for One Another, another Christian counseling book by Ed Welch. And then the last one that we did that just recently was The Gospel-Centered Life, another really great uh, discipleship tool. And right now we're working on and about to, to, well, not about to, but we're working on the translation for um, New Morning Mercies, a daily devotional guide. Because one of the things we discovered is there is not a daily devotional guide in Japanese that has been written in the last hundred years. Um, And so having a contemporary devotional guide we thought was a really good thing. All in all, over the last two years, we've given away almost 20,000 different books. 20,000 books, not different books. There's been four of them, but 20,000 copies of these books. Now, I have to say, storing 20,000 books has been a little bit more of a challenge than storing 5,000 books, but it's been one that I've been happy to wrestle with. Now, during this time as well, we had to move all of our classes online, which was something that our professors at CBI have resisted for a long time. We've talked about distance learning courses. We've talked about these things, kinds of things in the past, but they've always not wanted to do it. Um, but now being forced into it kind of gave us an opportunity to try something new. So we, we came up with an idea for something. We called it Seminary on Saturday. And we reached out to a whole bunch of churches and we said, hey, listen, we've got a seminary class. Here's an introduction to Genesis for our first-year students. But we want to invite everyone to come see what classes at seminary looks like. We're going to do it on Saturday morning. Come join us. And we said, send us an email and we'll, we'll send you a link. And so we set up a little automatic, automated inbox where they'd send an email in and then we'd bounce them back with the Zoom link. That first Saturday when we came, we had 10 students attending this Introduction to Genesis class. At 9 o'clock, when the class started, we had 75 auditors pop into the class. The next week, we had 85 auditors in the class. We were kind of blown away by the response we had to this. We weren't really sure anyone would be really interested in taking a seminary class for, like, no credit. But what we found out was there was a big hunger throughout Japan, the churches in Japan, for this kind of teaching, and we wanted to be able to provide it. And it was really exciting to see this go forward. So this was a really great proof of concept. And then one day, the director of the seminary comes up to me and he says, Hey, Will, do you think we could retrofit the old guest room on the fourth floor of the building into a recording studio? And I was like, oh yeah, sure, that's absolutely possible. And then the next day, he comes to me and says, Hey, Will, at the end of this month, I'd really like you to give me a grant proposal to build a studio in the guest room so we can submit it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, there's a new thing for me to learn. So I spent a bunch of time researching cameras, researching lighting, and researching microphones, researching building recording studios. I put together a wish list. We sent it off to this grant agency, and we received, they just said, okay, here's your money, and they gave us exactly what we wanted, which made me think I should have asked for more. Um, Because I had a whole tier of negotiations I was ready to do, but they just said yes. And so over the last year, we built a recording studio in the fourth floor of of the CBI building. Our hope is, well, not our hope, our plan is to start recording our Masters of Divinity program. All of the camera, all of the classes direct to camera so we can start, you, like, 
start uh, a distance learning program. Um, right now we're recording, we just finished up the first uh, lesson, or not the first lesson, the first class. It's a 10-lesson series on the Gospel of John, um, and we're well on our way to getting the Master's of Divinity program done. After that, we're going to start on a Christian counseling uh, master's program that we're developing, and then as that recording is finishing up, we're hopefully going to be launching an undergraduate program as well, which we're also going to start recording. As we were doing this, I realized, like, we made this roadmap, and I was like, oh, that's like eight Eight years of recording that we've got ahead of us, um, which hopefully I could find some interns in that amount of time so I don't have to do it all myself. All of this has been really exciting, um, and it's been kind of pushed forward by the difficulties that we've been facing in the last couple of years. Now, one of the, uh, the least exciting things to talk about in, a, in a, like a presentation like this, but for me was actually very exciting, was some of the building renovations that we got to do. Um, I won't bore you with all of it, but we got a construction team out to cover our building and scaffolding and repair a whole bunch of neglected aspects to this building that we have so that we can maintain our presence in this downtown area and really steward the gifts that God has given us well. Um, all of this has been by God's grace and by God's hand and in, in, in his guiding of us through all of this. Now, there's two more verses in the psalm today that I want to cover. Um, we better read the last ones so we can go over the whole thing. So let's take a look at verses 11 and 12. It says, For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. In your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Wow, that got really, really serious really fast there. Um, now, destroy all my adversaries? Cut off my enemies? You know, there's actually a word for that in the Psalms. These kinds of prayers are called imprecatory prayers, and they're the ones where, where the psalmist is calling on God to defeat his enemies. Now, as I kind of like look at my life and our ministry, I'm not sure I have any, uh, any enemies for God to destroy, um, but one of the principles that we can take from this as we look at it is that he's declaring God's victory in the midst of his prayer. He's in the suffering. He's saying, I am suffering now in the first verses. He goes by saying, while he's suffering, he's looking back at what God has done for him. He's calling out to God for his guidance. And even in that moment of calling out, he's praising God for what he will do because he knows God will do it for him. He says that you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy the adversaries. My friends, we have all faced suffering and hardship in our lives. I think we've all felt the way that David has felt. But God has brought us here to this point in our lives, and it's up to us to call on him and to look forward to how he will carry us on. When we face suffering, we shouldn't just wallow in our pain and focus solely on what is going wrong. We should look back on the sum of our lives and how God has provided for us. It's in those times of suffering that we need to call out to God for his guidance and rejoice in the assurance that he will continue to provide for us. The last couple of years have been really difficult for us in Japan, and we plan to come back to the U.S. every two years, but it's been four since we've been able to set foot in this country. But God has provided for us every step of the way, and we've seen him work in wonderful ways as we've been in Japan. Now, I may not be sitting here declaring that God will destroy my enemies, but I am excited for what God has in store for us next in our ministry, and I know that there are great things in the future. 
So we're going to go back to Nagoya and continue to work towards our mission of equipping Christians in Japan for the work of gospel ministry. And we have full assurance that our vision will come to pass, that the gospel of the glory of Christ will be cherished and proclaimed throughout Japan. So as you guys leave here today, I want you to go about your week, go about your time, and I want to encourage you to read Psalm 143. Take some time to look back on how God has provided for you in your life and take a moment to call out to him for his guidance. And in that time, in that calling out to God for his guidance, rest in the assurance that while we most definitely will continue to face hardships, we have a God that will carry us through them. I want to take a moment to pray. Can the worship band, can you guys come back up here while I pray? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today, for this beautiful day that you've provided for us. Lord, I thank you for the people that you have brought here. I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for how you have provided for us in our lives, how you have guided us to this point in our lives. I thank you for all the wonderful things that you do for us. Even in our times of suffering and hardship, you were there for us. Um, Lord, I ask that you would guide us. Help us know your will in our lives. Help us know where we need to go. Help us to lean on the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Father, again, we thank you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.